Welcome back to Content Therapy, guys. What is content therapy, you might be asking? Well, this is a podcast where myself, Will Evans, will be interviewing some interesting people each week. We're going to be talking about a whole range of topics, including sport, mental health, and we'll even throw in a bit of pop culture in there. So we've got you covered, but uh, if you're a politics person, maybe go somewhere else. But uh, thank you so much for joining me on this journey, and as always, keep it real. Welcome back to Content Therapy, episode 12, season 2, episode 2, so we're churning them out now. A uh, bit of a change to the weekly releases, we're going to be releasing every second Wednesday now, uh, so we're going to take a week off in between episodes, just to ensure that that quality remains tip-top um, once we get some more resources, hopefully go back to the weekly releases, uh, but in the meantime, this is the way we're doing it. For this week's episode, I was very fortunate to sit down with NBA star Jock Landau um, to discuss his uh, his unconventional journey to the NBA. Um, Jock was an absolute pleasure to interview. He is such an open book. He's so honest. Um, you know you're always going to get an honest response from Jocko. Uh, he, as you'll hear in this interview, he's unfiltered. He's got strong opinions, which is um, you know so unbelievably refreshing given that the modern athlete can sometimes be a little bit robotic in the way they sort of conduct themselves in interviews, and Jock is certainly not that. Now, I'm not the best person to speak on Jock, so what I thought I would do is track down the person that probably knows Jock the best. So here is a snapshot of Jock Landau, the person, captured beautifully by his wonderful fiancée, India Madden. So, in the words of India... If you follow Australian basketball, then you probably know of my wonderful fiancé, Jock. He's such a passionate and hard-working individual, both on and off the court. Seeing him succeed in his dream has been truly inspiring to witness. Over the past three years, I've seen Jock win an Australian first Olympic bronze medal for the Boomers, an MVP and a championship for Melbourne United. And of course, I've seen Jock achieve his life dream and break into the NBA. Experiencing those incredible highs, you come to appreciate the sacrifices Jock makes every day and how much it truly takes to get to this level in professional sport. If you know Jock, you know that he is unapologetically himself. He is always upfront and honest and can handle the ugly truth, which I'm sure you'll hear a bit about in this podcast. Jock deserves everything good that comes his way, and it's been such a joy to witness his journey. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Joined by a very special guest today, NBA star, Olympic bronze medalist, NBL finals MVP. I'm talking, of course, of Jock Landau. How are you, mate? Good, mate. That's quite the introduction right there. But yeah, not going <laughs> well. Just surviving this heat out in Phoenix right now. Looking forward to getting back onto home soil. Very good. So for the listeners out there, uh, Jock and I have been trying to do this for a while. Problem has been trying to trying to find a time with the time difference over there because we were obviously planning on having a beer together uh so naturally <laughs> we've settled on we've settled on 4 p.m your time and 9 a.m my time so cheers mate buddy breakfast of champions cheers um i'm happy for you mate starting your friday well you're starting yeah, really well absolutely absolutely uh first of my sort of hard-hitting questions for you 
How do you find it when the announcers call you Jock Landell? Because it yeah. does my fucking head in. It does my head in as well, mate. And you know, you want to know who started that? Um, it was, it was, uh, it was Coach Bennett when I was at St Mary's. I came off. I had this blinder of a game in my senior year, and it was kind of my. Well, it wasn't my coming out party because I had a good junior year, but my senior yeah. year. Um, I had this this massive win on the road, like 20-something and 13 rebounds, and we beat Gonzaga and knocked them off for the first time in a while because the mm. year before that was when they were number one. Or, and so we just had no luck against them my junior year. But my senior year, we come in and we just, like, we belt them. Oh, we didn't belt them. We might have won by, like, five, actually, but it was, like, a fairly dominant performance. And I had to do this post-game interview and in college, they you know they stand the they they stand the coach and the player, the selected player side by side, and he for some reason goes, oh Jock Jock Londale, <laughs> and I'm like I'm off the camera and I was like, what are you doing? Like this is not my it's not my fucking name. What are we doing here? And ever since then, given that that was the first like national kind of you know interview that I'd done, yeah. it just stuck and it and it stuck. And then on top of that, Bogut. And um, Mike Proprocio, who do the Rogue Bogues podcast, have just been like drumming at home, like <laughs> it's Lawndale, Lawndale, Lawndale. So I feel like people have just like picked up on this. And like the, how it typically happens is they kind of go around and they ask players like, oh, what's his last name? Or they yeah. ask other media members what his last name is. And so I had this guy come up to me in Sacramento this year. We were playing on the road and he was like, I just got to ask, like, how, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it is it Lawndale or Londale? I was like, motherfucker, it's Landale. Like, get, <laughs> get it right. Please get this back on track. Oh, it's so funny. It's just stuck and, like, took a life of its own. Okay, so so Bogues is just sort of adding fuel to the fire. He's just stitching you up big time. Which he does all the time. Like, any opportunity, you could say, like, he texted me literally yesterday. Any opportunity he gets to just like rag on me, he just fucking jumps on it on, on social media, but it happens 10 times worse and more in, in the private conversation. So, yeah, I'm going to blame Bogues for this one, I reckon. So um, how did that sort of relationship come about? Because you guys have uh, been tight for a while, yeah? Is that just through sort of boomers basketball? Yeah, so um, <laughs> going back to post... Uh, High school, Bogart had a basketball camp. It was the Andrew Bogart Basketball Academy out in um, Parham Downs. Mm. And his coach at the time, you know, worded me up and, and I went in. It was whilst their season was still going on, but he was like, yep, like Bogart, you know, he'll come back. He's looking for, a, you know, a player to kind of go against in his workouts if we do live stuff. And they promised me the world. They were like, so like, we want you to be that given that you're going to St. Mary's and you've got a lot of potential and blah, blah, blah. Mind you, at this point, like, I had no potential. Like, anyone that said that they saw potential at that point is just, like, a fucking liar. So, you know how I was in high school. Like, it was just, like, there was nothing there. Anyway, so I was sold on this idea of, like, you haven't fucking just had my money. Like, I'm going to Andrew Bogus Basketball Academy because I'm going to get to work out with Bogut and learn from the best. And, like, Bogut's the best big man we've ever had come ever had come through Australia. So I was like, mate, please, like, oh, I want to do this. Anyways, never saw the bloke. Not once, one time did I did I see him. So I would have liked to have said that the relationship started there, but it just didn't. Um, and then uh, the 2019 World Cup is when it really started, uh, and we 
like I was just kind of like in his ear a lot, like, oh, what, you know, what do you see here? What do you see there? And we, we really hit it off. And then um, myself and Bogues being fairly unfiltered, I'll say that he's on another level entirely, but <laughs> we just kind of like, we had very similar, um, you know, tastes and things. And we just laughed about a lot of the same shit. And then, mm. you know, I would actually have to be his little, what he likes to refer to as his coffee bitch. <laughs> and I was always bringing in his coffees as I was a rookie back then. So then we just kind of hit it off like that. Uh, we played a lot of cards together. Mm. Um, yeah, it was just a it was just a relationship that kind of sparked through 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 the boomers. And mm. uh, and then he decided that he saw something in me and took me under his wing and um, constantly give, been giving me advice since then. So, but yeah, you can sort of see that from an outsider's perspective that. Um you know, he's been a great sort of role model for you and that he has, as you said, has taken you under his wing. So, um, you know, what a sort of fantastic, um, yeah, role model for you to have, given that, as you said, he's no you know, the best big man that we've ever produced. No question. And his, his, his basketball mind is, is second to none, just in terms of, of reading the game and seeing things 10 steps before they happen. I've, it's very rare that you see players of his caliber and mate i'm actually going to make an outlandish um love that just to get things rolling the first outlandish outlandish comment of the podcast but i actually think if bogues had not been injured as much as he was which was really unfortunate like he could have he he could have been a nicole jokic-esque superstar like not saying on his level but i'm saying in terms of like his ability to read the game, pass. Mm. Bogues, not many people know this, but Bogues was hitting threes in college. He was oh, really? shooting one shot. Mate, he was doing it all, but he lost the ability. Not many people know this. He lost the ability to shoot with his right hand. So if you watch his early days in the NBA, a lot of his moves were right-handed, you know, doing it all both hands. But after he broke his arm and he, his wrist, he, he stopped having a right-hand ability. So all of his shots were left-handed hook shots. And it's like he had to completely change his game. And it's because I think he had, I think he has like a floating bone in his elbow or something along those lines that was just never serviced. And so it's just been a constant thing that he's dealt with where he lost the ability to like fully extend his right arm. And as you know, as a shooter, you need to be able to do that. So yeah. Mate, Bogut was Bogut was borderline. I mean, the second year he was averaging 17 and like 11 or something like that. Like that's all-star level numbers, especially yeah. as a second year player. It's like this guy, this guy's legit. So that's what you forget, right? Like you forget the amount of injuries that he had. Cause he was obviously pick one. Um, but then was yeah, just crippled by injuries. Um yep. so it is good that he was able to still do a lot with the time that he had, obviously with you know the champ- the the championships at uh, at Golden State. But um, yeah, so that's interesting. So yeah, no nah, massive call to start the podcast. Love it. Massive, massive call to start the pod. And then you like, I think just to to, to go into Nicola a little bit to rival that, like, um, people people often sleep on Nicola Jokic's his his defensive ability, um, mm. but he is an elite defender. And I think people are seeing that a little bit more through this playoff series. But mm. Bogues was a different mammoth in that regard. Like, mm. unfucking believable defensive instincts, ability to block shots. Like, mm. I think it would have been a lot closer than people would have realized. 
Oh, that's awesome. No, I can't wait to, to ask you about, uh, about Jokic later. But for now, uh, Matt, I thought the best place to start would be um, essentially from the beginning and how this whole sort of crazy journey came about. Because, like, mm-hmm. it, it is an amazing story. And, you know, I knew, you know, we went to school together. Um, for the listeners out there, I was the year above you at Borney School. And I think it's, I think it's fair to say you weren't the most athletic kid going around. <laughs> Hell no. No, I had, I had, I really, really had nothing in the athletics department going for me. Um, I had no, you know, we didn't have a basketball team at school, so there was, I was ducking off campus to go and do it. But like people just laugh, like they used to laugh about it, like, oh, you know, why are you doing all this extra shit when like it's not going to eventuate anything? It's like, and at times I was like, it probably won't. Um, in all fairness, you know, had, having hardly played basketball leading into year 10 and then all of a sudden I'm thrown into the, the 18 ones. It's like, you know, it, it just really wasn't a part of like my life. And all these guys that are out here are like, oh, you know, born and bred basketball player, like doing this, doing this since I was whatever, you know, mm. six, eight, 10 years old, whatever it was. Right? It really, it really didn't start for me until 15. Um, and mm. I think footy had a lot to do with, not that I was any good at that, as you know, but like footy had a little bit to do with like the instinct part of the game where I knew where to be, but athletically, I just wasn't able to get there. Um, mm. so I had like a lot of help in that regard, like hand-eye coordination through footy, um, which is majority hand-foot coordination, uh, sorry, um, foot, foot, eye coordination, but like there is a little bit of, um, yeah, hand eye in it, and then you know, playing just being able to throw myself into a bunch of different sports like tennis and cricket and all that stuff. Just I feel as though it all played a piece of the puzzle. Um, but I think one of my biggest benefits was was not playing basketball until 15 because I worry that I would have gotten disheartened with it and, um, like just not really ever fell in love with it. Mm. Um, but now I'm like completely obsessed, so um. Yeah, there was like there's bits and pieces to the puzzle that really played a part. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like obviously we went off to to Timbertop and had a ripping year there and and fell in love with the idea of physical activity. Um got got in elite shape when I was there. And and that's where I was like, mm, like I, I want to do something of this degree in this regard in terms of just staying fit. But then went to went to went to Geelong Grammar and just never really fell in love with any of the sports. I was a good swimmer and that was kind of any that was the only thing that really ever had potential to it. So um basketball was just kind of like a side hustle that eventuated into this, to be honest, is the best way to put it. So I was more in love with just like trying to have a good time and and you know get by in high school and then figure it out from there. So I was not thinking that it was going to be this. Well, because you were I think when, when I finished in year 12 and you were obviously the year below, you were, you weren't, you didn't have that growth spurt by then, did you? Uh, Oh, I want to, I want to say that like, I was always one of the taller blocks in the year level for sure, or in the school, but the advantage was that I was a super late bloomer, which we found out that I was going to be a super late bloomer through the, the wrist snapping at, at at, uh, Timbertop and getting that. Yeah. Tell, tell that story. That's an amazing story. Yeah, so I should bring my mum into this and I know she'll love that. But um, we 
we'd gotten through the ski season and we were on like the last day of our skiing competition uh, our skiing curriculum or whatever it is and she was apparently like talking to her friends and just like thank god we got through the ski season with, without any injuries blah blah, blah. and my mum is like torn a couple of ligaments in her knee skiing mm. so i think that she was always worried about that anyway like pretty much coming home from our big ski day cruising down Burke Street for any, and for anyone that knows Burke Street is like it's a green run it's literally the easiest run on all of Mount Buller <laughs> and just like a, a foggy day icy day and there was just a fucking brick of ice sitting in the middle of the runway and I couldn't see it like bad eyesight as is couldn't see it anyways cruising cruising just whack this whack this thing kind of like do like a, a 180 so I'm like cruising down backwards for what felt like a fucking eternity um and I was like I gotta find a way just to like topple over here and just like regather myself thought it was gonna be nothing like it really wasn't a crazy injury so I kind of like fall aside what happened was is my ski pole which wrapped around the wrist got caught between the top of my arm and the ice and I just kind of like slapped it into the ground and thought nothing of it was like all right I'll just get up so as I went to push off the ground my bones which were like fractured clean through slipped off one another and just like bang straight like damn near through the skin it was like it's like if you press a needle into something and you just see it like it's almost there that's what it looked like anyways luckily enough I was just like straight onto it and I was like all right something's like gone here and I pull up my jacket and I see how my fucking arm is like angled at like pretty much like 60 degrees oh what would that be like 120 degrees and I just start like plowing ice on top of it so anyway get get through that I go on I go down to uh throw me on the green whistle go and get my blood circulation is cut off for like an hour and then they kind of try and reposition my arm. So I reposition my arm and these are just like, these are just people like doctors at Mount Buller. So I can't imagine, no disrespect to the doctors at Mount Buller, but I can't imagine that they're like arm specialists or anything. So arm gets repositioned. They're like, right, we'll put you in a cast and you're good to go home. So then I drive back to Melbourne. Four weeks later, we were just having a laugh about this the other day, but four weeks later or six weeks later, whatever it was, they take the cast off and they, they're they like, we just want to do some x-rays to make sure that the bones like set well. So I go in and I do an x-ray and the bones are just like mangled. And they're like, Jock, we have to like re-break this thing or when it heals, you'll end up like, I'm not kidding. They're like, you'll end up like this, like your muscles and hand and everything will just completely seize up. And I was like, well, that's not going to fucking happen. So week later i go in with a specialist uh he, he looks at the x-rays and he's like mate like how old are you and i was like oh you know at the time i was 14 or, or 15 or something and he was like you have got a long way to grow and i was like what do you mean i was already like i'd just probably broken like six foot at that point and he was like your your so you have growth plates in your wrist and the growth plates in your wrist are the first ones to close when you like go through your growing phase so they're the first ones to close when you when you're getting to the end of your he was like mate you look like you have growth plates of an eight-year-old and i was like fuck me like i'm gonna be a, i'm gonna be a big bastard so then at that point it was like we were like right like that's when the wheel started ticking and i was like right i gotta figure out what i can do with this height because it's coming um yeah it's not here yet but it's coming anyways at that point we were like basketball footy like let's find something because i never wanted to sit behind the desk mm. Um, so at that point it was like, let's, let's try our hand at things. Now footy, 
was just never there. Like I used to just enjoy getting getting out there, like throwing the body around a little bit, but I was just fucking useless. Didn't like being in the ruck, wanted to play forward, but I was too big to play in the forward line and slow. So anyways, that just never happened. And then we kind of struck, we struck some gold with, with a bloke by the name of Rod Boone, who unfortunately passed away two years ago, but he was the first coach that was really like, keys to the castle, here you go. Like, I see the potential, you're big, you've got, you know, good speed and touch and blah, blah, blah. I want to bring you up into the 18 ones as like a 14 year old and just like develop you from there. So that was kind of the first time that like basketball really stepped into my life. But that was the story of how we knew that there was going to be some serious height. That's awesome. Um, and then and I love the story as well of, you know, when you started getting that, that college interest um, and you had to organize <laughs> the, uh, the scrimmage game against your mates and, um, and I know you've told this story before, but I know those guys that, that you played against and they're fucking small dudes. Shout out to the youngmans. Um, Shout, uh, young Shout out to Jockey G. Yeah. A lot of those, yeah. Boys, a lot of those boys played a part. Yeah. Mate, I would have loved to have seen your box score for that game. <laughs> oh, mate, I was like, I was, I was doing stuff in the college. <laughs> Yoke is just doing it in the NBA. He's like grabbing it off the board, like coming up behind the back, going like dunk. And like, I was like, at that point, I was hardly dunking, but yeah, I was doing all this shit. And I was like, mate, I feel like a Magic Johnson out here, like <laughs> doing all these ones and stuff. It was a pisser. And then, I mean, that's what the call was. It was like, this guy, like, I think he's really good, but like he's playing against dudes who like can't shoot more than 10% from the field. So it was just, it was quality. But credit to the young ones, mate. Like credit to those boys. They didn't just like make it about me and like, you know, make me look good. Mate, they yeah. played hard as hard as anything. And it oh, was I can like imagine. every time we started doing that, like, once a week and um there was a bunch of blokes that would come down on the regular like oscar o'reilly and stuff yeah but we, it was just once a week we'd all go down and we'd just get on the court and we'd play together and it was a bloodbath like it was so <laughs> good it was so good uh that's awesome um so then obviously the move to to college happened so tell me about your time at, at st mary's because you know you had a fantastic college career um all american at one point um Unlock, uh, so unlucky not to get drafted. Do you have fond memories of that time? Because yeah. I'm sure it would have been like a massive eye-opening experience for, for like a you know a kid from Denny moving to yeah. America to play college basketball. Like I'm sure you know it would have been a lot to process. Yeah, well, that's where I mean, grammar, grammar really helped me with with in regards to like the moving process out of the house. Like I'd already been living out of the house for, for six years. Mm. And then at that point, when I went back to Melbourne, it was like my parents were already up full time at the farm. So I was kind of like living at the house, but I was pretty well solo. So it was like it really like it wasn't too much of an adjustment where all these other blokes are going through like the first time out of the house stuff. I, I wasn't. Um, so there was definitely an advantage in that. But mate, the, the time there was unbelievable. Like mm. the, the, the best way to describe it is, is like a basketball now is a business and it's a job back then it was like it was like organized just fucking pure enjoyment like there was there's no like extras going on like nowadays it's like everyone is in it for themselves they want the next they want the next guy's contract and they want 
um, more minutes and they want, you know, a legacy for themselves, whatever it might be. Back then it was like, mate, this is just a bunch of best mates playing basketball, like trying to win some games and hopefully make it to the NCAA tournament. At the end of the day, if that all fails, like we're all Aussies in America in college, like that's mm. fucking crazy. It's unreal. So, well, I had I had eight Australians on my team my senior year, my junior senior year. So, I was I was pretty much like I was home. It was like we used to call it Little Australia. We were just like this is this is just a bunch of Aussie blokes who were like kind of you know a lot of them had grown up playing together, just come together overseas and like having a good time. So, mm. um. Fuck, mate, it was fun. I've got some great stories of seeing a lot of shit out there, but it's, yeah, it was it was a really, really good time. And it was just like the, the purity of the basketball was amazing. And have, have you kept up those relationships? Uh, look, like my best mate, one of my best mates is Evan Fitzner, who I've uh, freshman year roomed together, um, yep. you know, flying out and surprising me for the engagement party, all this stuff. Like he's very, very close mate. There's there's kind of three or three or four other blogs that I still keep up with, um, but then then there's like a, there's a whole bunch of drop off after that, and I think that that's just life, right? Like mm. all out of touch with people, you all get wrapped up in your own kind of spaces, but um, you know nothing but good things to say about all of them, and and and, mm. and definitely have fond memories with each and every one of them. So yeah, just haven't haven't kept up with them as much as I would have liked to. Um, mm sure we'll all come back together at some point and have a few beers or something so yeah ah oh, for sure mate i reckon that's the time where i sort of started um Did you ever come you know, out no I, I never came out i was plan- i was planning to but i you weren't in season so um i think i was you know potentially going to come watch you train or something like that but it just didn't yeah, right. work out with uh with times but um I remember that's when I sort of started, um, you know, following your career because I was living with Scotty Dixon at the time and he used to watch all your games. That's right. And, and Scotty came out my senior year. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I remember he was watching you once and I sort of sat down. The first thing I saw was you just like jack up a three-pointer. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I didn't realise he actually... In? Yeah, went in. Yeah, I was like, and I, Fuck I, was, yeah, I didn't realize he, he he sunk three pointers. And for me, like the three point shot is like my favorite, you know, sports play in any sport. That's why Steph Curry is my favorite athlete of all time. But all um, right. was that uh, was that always part of your game? No, fuck no, never. <laughs> um, I, I like um, someone. I was actually went back there the other week, and and they brought up some stats for me, and I think I was like three for eleven my entire career. So like I mm. shot eleven threes in four years. Like it's hard to shoot eleven threes in four years. So, um, yeah, no, I really, really didn't ever sh- like. So before college, I would work on it. It was horrendous. I could always shoot a midi out of the out of the post. Um, that was just part of my post game, which was my strongest asset back then. Yeah. Um, and then it just never really translated to the three point line. Like it's just not something that I was like fully invested in. And and back then, like even when you're looking at the teams, like that was like Miami LeBron. Like yeah, there weren't really any shooting bigs at the time. Like yeah. Kevin. Was coming into the mix, Chris Bosch a little bit, but he was more mid-range. Serge Barker mid-range. There just weren't many bigs shooting threes at that time. Dirk Nowitzki, like, still a lot, of, a lot of mid-range over, over, over three. So it just wasn't a huge thing. You weren't seeing it like you, like you are now. Um, so my my coaches at the time, 
Um, well, like, oh, like a lot of a lot of post work, like that's that's going to be where your bread your bread and butter is. Yeah. But one guy, Marty Clark, was always like, let's just work on it so it's in your back pocket, like just in case. Mm. Guys, come like the third, fourth year of my college career, that's when you start seeing all these guys come up and shooting threes as bigs, and they're like, holy shit, like this is a new age big man, like mm. pulling up unicorns and all this stuff. Mm. Um, and so. Through college, I developed it to the point where it was there, but never necessary to use. And I'd only ever use it in like a big moment of a game, having confidence that it would go in, um, luckily. Yeah. But I just never really needed to use it a whole lot. My senior year, I got a bit more confident. I think I shot like six threes that year. And that was the year I went like three for six. And they were my mm. only three makes. But for the most part, I wasn't shooting threes. Anyways, come to, come to Europe and... The first coach was like, no, nah, we don't use like Europe is still like it's it's almost like it's five years behind the NBA or, or what the mm. current is. Um, but I was never really like, yeah, okay, I need to use this in Europe. Anyways, first coach gets fired. This new bloke comes in, Andre Adrian Kerry, and he's like, Hey, I'm gonna run the entire offense around you and I need you to shoot threes. Anyway, the first game that we play where I really showed that I could shoot. Um, was against Red Star, our, our, our rivals in, in Serbia. And this mm. was the first time I ever showed that I could really shoot the ball. First three plays of the game, bang, 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 made all three of them. And everyone was like, fuck is this guy? Like, why, why is he shooting threes? Drilled every single one of them. And from then it was just like, all right, he's a shooting big. Uh, that's awesome. That's so yeah. good. Um, but I'm so keen to, to, to ask you about your time in Europe. So... Obviously, when undrafted, so unlucky not to get picked up. But you yep. signed for for Partizan in Serbia, and then later Zalgiris in Lithuania. Um, it sounds like that was an incredibly sort of challenging time of your yeah. career. Not because of you know the way you were playing on the court because you were dominating, but yep. you know all the shit that you had to deal with um, yep. off the court. Um, yeah, tell us about that time in your life. Yeah, that was really hard. Um, I was dealing with dealing with um a lot of kind of i'm trying to think how to word it i was dealing with a lot of like wrap up from college almost mm. and all these things that i thought were, were were really going to be um you know like i was going to have this boisterousness in the professionals that i had in college and i was it was going to be like babied kind of my whole way through. Like I, I'd ne when you go to college, you move out of your house, but you move into just a bigger house and yeah. you look after and you have no financial worries. You don't, you've ne I've never had to do taxes or work a real job before, which is just barbaric. I'm 23 years old and I've never done any of this stuff. So it was like, I lived in a very, I had someone used to tell me that I, that I came from like a very, closed world and i was like what are you fucking talking about like i'm an australian and american in america like i've dealt with it all like blah, blah blah had no idea at the time so you get out there and you just like you just don't really know and and, and when i got there it was like this huge reality check just slammed into my face like front and center and it started first five minutes of landing in serbia like i land in serbia the blokes from the club pick me up and they, they take me out to dinner. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to speak to them. So there's three of us sitting there having this dinner with broken English. 
the accent makes everything 10 times harder to understand. So I was just like, fuck, like this is hard. Mm. And, um, and they dropped me off at my apartment and I get dropped at this apartment and it is like a fucking disgrace. <laughs> and I've got a building next door because obviously like Serbia has gone through a war in the past couple of years. I had this mm. building next door that was literally crumbling to the ground. Like occasionally they, there would be a rock that would drop off the building. Um, and my, my shower is like regurgitating poo. Um, I have no, like I barely have any windows in the apartment. And on top of that, like I rock up thinking that there's going to be like bed sheets, linen, like all this stuff, like ready to go nothing so i get into the apartment at nine o'clock at night probably have to sleep under have to sleep under a towel that i'd luckily packed because there were no towels either so it was just stuff like that so yeah i'm from this place where everything's set up we're all good to go usually i'd have my you know parents or family members or mates or something coming out to to visit and and kind of get me settled this time it was like i went from college straight to europe um completely solo didn't know anyone on the team, which was something I dealt with. Like at St. Mary's, I, I knew people on the team when I got there. Yeah. So it was just like, it was this like life of just, I've got all these people around me who love me and support me and blah, 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 to isolation. Don't hear from people as much anymore because everyone's got their own lives. And at that time, I didn't really understand that. Um, dealing with not having someone there for you all the time, like all these things that I'd had in the past, Mm. which is gone and I, mm. I wasn't prepared for that so the isolation of like three months doing that by myself was really fun, like really hard mm. um on top of that i'm dealing with like an intense basketball world that is serbia and whilst that was kind of like that was kind of like my my advice to get out of that headspace like i really enjoyed being on the court in serbia in that lifestyle it was just the best but I'd go back like that would that would last four or five hours a day and then I'm back in the apartment doing nothing like I'm going to yeah. lunches by myself and dinners by myself at restaurants while everyone's having a Serbia is a like Belgrade Serbia is an unbelievable city it's a, everyone's partying all the time blah, blah blah and here I am in these bar in these in these restaurants like everyone's partying around me and I'm sitting there solo like on my phone oh. on FaceTime with someone back home or doing something like that so the isolation was the biggest killer for me um and then there was just like a whole bunch of things that happened where my self-worth was like really called into question and yeah um they're making you play through injury as well right yeah so the end of the end of um so the end of the year what happened was i like busted my ankle up really badly um So actually, what? Well, I'll take it back a step further. So we 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 go to the Adriatic Finals. We lose we lose in the semis to Red Star, our rival. And um, what happened was is like my dad was there at the time, and we leave the game. And he's like, right, you got ten days off. Go be free, do whatever you want. We'll see you in ten days. And I go home with dad and like thinking that I let's you know we're gonna go over to France and like you know just drink some wine and 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 kind of be in Europe together. Uh, and and he's like, oh, sorry, we, we're having a few beers, looking at flights, and I was just like, Dad, like I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in Europe. Like I need yeah. to get back to Australia and see friends and family and just put my feet on some home soil. And um, they were like, he was like, done. So next next morning, we're on a flight at like six thirty in the morning to Australia. Mm. Um, we go home to Australia, and it's like 
it was like my 10 days comes and goes and I'm like, I, I, I can't go back. Like I'm mm. too scared at this point to go back to the isolation of it. Yeah. So I'm fighting the club. Like, just let me go. I don't want to, I don't want to come back. Like I'm really battling stuff mentally, like quite severely at this moment. Like, please don't make me come back. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, get your ass back here. You're contracted to it. And fair enough. Yeah. Just where I was at that time, I was like, I'm not willing to leave this space. So, anyways, I end up going back. Um, I, I land, I land in Serbia, and I literally go from the airport, having flown and traveled for 24 hours, straight to the gym. And we get to the gym and I play for two hours. Two days later, I get on court, jet lagged, still exhausted, play a game. And fuck my ankle up so badly that mm. like I'm like I'm done. Like I literally cannot walk on this thing. Mm. Guys, we're doing MRIs, which they're doing X-rays, they're doing all this stuff, and they're telling me that nothing's wrong. But I'm like, well, how do you explain the fact that I literally cannot walk and my ankle is this big? It doesn't make sense. So I eventually am like, right, well, like we got to be able to do something with this. Like I need to go and rehab this properly. So they end up kind of like cut. I end up cutting me out of the organization a little bit and being like, just stay away. Um, but you're not allowed to leave and go back to Australia or anything like that. So it was just a lot of stuff like that. It was really hard to deal with. Um, mm. And they weren't really seeing it from my aspect. Um, they tried to make me play through injury the whole time. And I just like, mm. I, 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 I physically couldn't walk. So that was kind of what I was dealing with at the end of, at the end of the season. So it was just like, mm. It felt like hear, I was totally alone. But you hear other stories like that from from uh, you know other other people that have gone to play over there, and we even saw that video the other day of um, of your old club Partizan, where someone was was just got like absolutely dump tackled, like head first, and that was I Dante, mean, Dante Exum, right? So yeah. it just seems like an incredibly hostile, you know, passionate um, environment to. To be to be playing in it almost feel like you you know you're really sort of going to war um so I, I can imagine that would have been you know a lot to deal with yeah it was and it's um it's tough to it, it's tough to see the light at the end of the tunnel in those scenarios as well like mm. having having kind of always had people come and visit me and 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 be around friends all the time like I thought that, that that was going to continue to carry over, but it was like we were all kind of at this point of our, in our life when not just me, but all my mates back home are starting, yeah. they're starting to go into the real world and they're starting to get jobs mm. and they don't have, you know, six, seven, eight weeks a year to go and just have vacations. It's like, no, nah, now we've got a couple of weeks a year. We have to use them wisely. Mm. And I, I wasn't comprehending that. And, and and that's where INS has been great for me is it's like, well, these other people have actually got like, you know, real jobs and stuff. And just for those two years, I couldn't understand why I wasn't having visitors. And yeah, uh, it almost isolated me from my mates a little bit more than I already was because I was like, mm. do these like, guys not really like fuck with me a whole lot? Like what's going on mm. here? Um, are we just growing that separate? But it was like, it was just life. And yeah. um, I just couldn't, at that point in time was dealing with so much insecurity and, and self-doubt and all this mm. stuff. I couldn't really see like that. That's just not what it was. Mm. Um, 
and that, that, that it wasn't me. It was just kind of life getting in the way of things. So there was just a lot of stuff like that where, yeah. where my headspace was affecting me so poorly that I thought the world was ending when it was just like, mate, this is just life. And yeah. I needed a reality check, to be honest with you. So um, mm. a, an ex extremely hard two years. I think it was a very fucking important two years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would have, um, you know, learned so much about yourself at that particular time. But it's amazing that you could sort of identify that because a lot of people can't. So it's amazing that you could be like, right, this isn't an ideal situation and I need to put myself in a much sort of healthier situation. Let me let me ask you this. With your time in Europe, how, how long were you there for? Two years. Uh, year and three quarters because of COVID. Okay, so if you didn't have that time, in Europe, do you reckon you would be where you are now? Fuck oh, no, no way. Really? No way. Okay. The, the, the toughness that I learned out there, because I was quite like, I was a bit soft and coddled back then, coming from like the family I, I, I came from and like, you know, Geelong grammar and everything that I was just kind of put through as a kid. It was like, I was very looked after, but um, like I needed that to be like, all right, like, the, like life is life is fucking hard like yeah. you need to work and earn every single piece of food that you put on your table and you need to be able to understand how to deal with the highs and lows of life like these are things that a lot of people in this league who are just like given this league yeah. and a number one draft pick max contract i know a lot of them work for it don't get me wrong but mm. there are a lot of things where it's like like I don't know if this guy like fully deserves this. Yeah. And it's like, they, they need to go through those hardships a little bit. Like they need to, I'm not saying that like, I, I, I'm not saying that to use an example that Dante was, was gifted anything in his life, mm. but Dante Exum is going to come back into the NBA next year. In my mind, a completely different player because really? he spent that time in Europe understanding the game, understanding how tough it is. He's an NBA player, no fucking question. Like he should, he's damn near a starting point guard in the NBA. Mm. He just, I don't think when he was first in the league, he didn't have that grit and toughness that Europe teaches. Mm. And I think that he'll seriously value off that time spent out there. So that kind of stuff is just invaluable in terms of basketball, but to take it a step further in, in the space and the realm of life, mm. like that, that time out there, toughened me up matured me like turned me into a bit more of a man yeah um, because like without that I would have just been this like grumbly little kid who just thought the world was against him and that's what I was kind of like in Serbia like that's how I thought mm. but it was like mate this is just how shit is these days and you just got to like you've got to be you've got to be the man like you can't yeah. you can't just like expect things are going to be given to you forever so mm. that's yeah, really that interesting it's interesting how, yeah, sometimes your your, your biggest moment uh, moments of, of growth come in like the the hardest times. Like I've talked about on this podcast many times how like 2020 was a shit year for me. Um, you know, it was for everyone. But I look back on the terrible year that I had and I'm like, I'm actually so glad it happened because the person I was before 2020, the person I was afterwards, two completely different people. So oh, it's, really? uh, it's amazing to be able to, you know, reflect on what was a shit time but be be grateful for it um yeah, i think a lot of people need to get to that a little bit more is is understanding sure. that those hard times are for the best you know yeah for sure 
So, mate, you obviously – so you come back to Melbourne, um, signed for Melbourne United. Um, yep. Was that, like, a big decision for you at the time? Because, yeah, I'm sure you're getting, like, NBA interest. Um, yep. So, I mean, you tell me, like, is that a massive gamble given that I'm sure the NBL is a slight drop in standard from, from Europe League? It was it was a very, very risky move at the time because – there's a couple of things that I'll kind of give you the scenarios that were in play at the time. So as you said, there was, there was NBA interest to go into the bubble. So I had, I had the Spurs who were like, Hey, we want to, we've just lost one of our centers. I think it might've been Pau Gasol or something. Mm. Uh, we, need another, we need another center, someone that's proven, someone that's tough, blah, blah, blah. And that just fit that bill for them. Um, will, will, will you come into the bubble with us if the league approves it? Now, the league didn't approve, approve it because the Lakers at the time were trying to sign Nikola Miritich. Mm. And Nikola Miritich, NBA, NBA uh, level player already. He was the MVP of Europe that year. He's unbelievable. Mm. And they were like, you can't like bring the MVP of Europe over into the Lakers team, which is already probably the best team in the league at that point who end up winning the championship anyway. Like it was just going to be an unfair advantage. Um, so I, I was having those conversations thinking, okay, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a chance at a, at a, you know, a quick six months uh, in the NBA, see if it kind of works out in the bubble, like great opportunity. Um, so we were kind of waiting on that. And that was my, my old club, Zalgiris was like, yep, that's, that's totally fine. Cause I was still signed to a two year deal with them. Um, and they were totally fine with it. Anyway, then it, it, you know, that comes and goes. They put that deal in place, and it's like, okay, like, well, what are we doing next year? Like, we got to figure that out. So we had uh, we had a t- we had two teams, one Russian, uh, one might have been a Spanish team, come and just offer me like way more money than I was on at the time. Like three or four times what I was on at the time. So mm. they were they were offering me that. And I was like, at that point in time, I'm like, mate, this is this is like to me at that time is like life-changing money. Like, let's go. Um yeah. so looking at all of that as it is, uh, I was like very close to signing in uh in 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 Russia, um, which like looking back, thank goodness I didn't with how the world stands now. What a sliding doors um, moment. Oh, mate, crazy, crazy. Um, so it was like, well, then what's the play? And at the time, I'm like, I'm in Australia. I've just met India. Um, mm. Like, I'm back with my mates. I haven't been around them in, you know, six years. Like, there are all these things. My family as well. I haven't seen them. In, I haven't been around them in six years. Mm. All these things. And I'm just like, I don't want to fucking leave. Like, I'm having the best time ever at the minute. Like, mm. Misses, families around, got got the best mates around. Like, what else do I really want? Like, basketball was an afterthought at that point in time because I was just like, every life's life's just great. Mm. And that was when I really flipped the the priorities on their head a little bit. And I was like, I have to have like a great life. I just can't like drop my twenties and like you know all of that just to like go and pursue this dream. And anyway, I'm like. I got to play in the NBL. Like I have to play in the NBL because mm. if it's not for like, obviously at the time, like the, there's a lot of good stuff going on with the NBA NBL relationship, mm. but 
I was like, I need to, I just need to like enjoy life again. Like, and I, and I hadn't enjoyed it in a while at that point. So mm. I really was just committed to, to getting my life back on track mentally a little bit. And NBL was the single hand like best decision I ever made because that's awesome. It allowed me to just like evolve with with ins and 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 you know be around my mates for a year and kind of deal with that space a lot. And um, I think like without without that kind of time frame being being home and dealing with that and, and just like kind of being happy again, like I don't know if the NBA would have been sustainable um, yeah. because like. Like I just I, I needed some to get back in touch with reality a little bit. Um, so and, and well, and India obviously wouldn't have been there either. Well, that's exactly right. Like we wouldn't have met. Like mm. we, I, I think I think at that time, like uh, we might have been like a week into it, and I said to her, I was like, oh, look, like there's a chance I could like go to Russia, and she was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it wasn't it. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, it's it's too hard to know, right? You just never yeah. know if, if we would have made it work or not because I'm on yeah. the other side of the world three weeks into our relationship. Um, mm. So, like, there was so many blessings that came kind of through that period of time. Um, but then on top of that, like, I was, I was given this, like, insane enjoyment that kind of felt like I was back in college again playing with my best mates. Awesome. being in being in melbourne playing with a bunch of aussies like it was just the best so mm. traveled around australia something that i hadn't i hadn't seen a lot of these cities like playing against and with a bunch of aussies you know a couple of my best mates were from that team now so it's like it was just this experience that was mm. like like it almost especially when i got to san antonio which we'll touch on in a second but when i got to san antonio there were conversations i was having with ins when i wasn't playing and i just wasn't enjoying san antonio a whole lot I was like, like, is this going to be like a Europe thing? Like, do I want to go back to Australia instead of mm. playing in the NBA? This is, sounds crazy. <laughs> like, is there anything that compares to Australian basketball? I don't know because I've gone to Europe thinking that, you know, the NBA was the be all and end all. Mm. I go to Australia thinking the NBA is the be all and end all, but then all of a sudden there's this league that I'm really, really enjoying. And then I come to the NBA and I'm like, fuck, I miss the NBL. <laughs> it was just like I was like I have no idea what I want anymore. Anyway, I'm Phoenix. I'm just I'm loving it here. But that's awesome. Yeah, it, it really is like it's the old cliche of like it's not the city, it's the people in it type thing. Yeah. And it's like hands down the truth. So that's great. So uh, so the NBL is in a in a good spot right now, in your opinion? Hundred uh, percent. The NBL has done themselves a huge amount of favors. Um, I also think that the talent level is getting a lot closer between the NBL and Europe. Okay. It's you, you could, you could, if you put a, a good team in the NBL or like the championship team in the NBL up against like a mid-level to high, like playoff picture team in the, in, in, in Europe, mm. put them in a five game series. I think that it would be a lot closer than people realize. I don't know if, really? I don't know if like you're getting across the line just yet. Yeah. Because you got to also remember that you got to remember that European teams are they're worldwide talent. Like there's Spanish players, there's Serbian players, there's Russian players, all this whole culmination of players, bang, put on one team. Australian league is all local, all local talent with one or two like Americans. They they draw no Europeans. 
So they need to, and I've said this to them for years, they need to figure out a way of, of becoming the decision of, do I want to stay in Europe and play 10 months and get screamed at through winter and not see the sun? Or do I want to go down to Australia and do I want to play for six months in a fantastic situation where they look after me great? I want Australian beaches through the summer like all of these like positives, like do I want to go and do that? And that's the that's where they need to get to. They need to pay players a bit more money, mm. and then they need to just sell sell the lifestyle of Australia because that that's the selling point. Like hundred percent, it is. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, they just yeah. If anyone's uh, you know thinking about it, they should just speak to you because it sounds like you have nothing but you know just great memories of your time there. Sure, for sure. Um, so, mate, I'm so keen to talk to you about uh, the Olympics. Firstly, before we get into like the, you know, the wonderful memories we all have of that um, historic bronze medal, take us behind the curtain as much as you can, obviously, of the sort of legendary boomers culture that we all hear so many stories about. Um, you know, we hear the stories about, you know, the, the group chat you guys have got where if, yeah. you know, someone goes off on a certain night, everyone will be like, you know, great game, Jocko, all that kind of stuff. Um, that culture is, you know, incredibly rare to find in, in any environment. Um, so I suppose the question is, how did you guys get to that place as a, as a unit? Yeah, so um, I think the, the builders of that were, if there are three names that come to mind, and there's a lot of people who have played a role in it, including myself, including Delhi, Baines, all of these guys. But the three names that really ring a bell to me are Paddy Mills, Joe Ingalls, and Andrew Bogut. I think that those guys drove that culture um, in kind of a high moment for the boomers where we were really starting to band together and, and, and develop all this young talent. You could see these guys kind of coming up the ranks. And that was when it was like, okay, like we've got something really special. From a, from a player pool kind of standpoint, let's let's make this thing, let's make this thing a Patriots uh, an an all blacks culture that people are just like, it's not something that is like I suppose that the art the, the 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 mindset people go through in our position in an off season is do I really want to sacrifice two months of my fucking off season where I could be sitting on a beach in Greece to go and play in um, you know, somewhere in the world and, and and put my body through torture and essentially roll straight back into my professional career. Mm. And the culture that those three really embodied and built over eight years, I'd say, um, made it where it's like not even a choice. Like players are just yearning to be a part of that team. Uh, we look forward to it like no tomorrow because there's just nothing like you just can't emulate it um as a team as a as, as a collective buy-in as a as a care factor for one another there's there's just nothing that rivals it um mm. so you get to you get to put all of that in a package where we all become fucking tired as anything we just become this tight mob of blokes and you put it in, you put it in this tight little little package, and then you say, "Hey, now we have an opportunity to compete for a fucking gold medal in an Olympics." And it's like, like it's a no brainer that I want to be a part of this. So, mm. you, it's 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 a lot more than just the accolades and and you know bringing home a medal. It's 
it's the it's the desire to play with like like-minded people who care about your growth, care about your success. And that's something that you don't get in the NBA. You don't get yeah. many teammates saying, I, I care about how you're going to do in the next five years or the next three years till I see you again and, and get to play with you in a campaign. You, you don't really get that. And mm. we are the opposite. We are constantly checking in on each other. You know, as you said, you know, you see, you see something where someone has a good game and you're all kind of texting about it. Like there is a lot of that. And whether or not that's in the group chat itself or on the side, like I had a, I had a couple of monster games this year. Bogut, Patty, um, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Delhi, like all these guys, bang. They're, they're the first names that I'm reading when I'm walking out of, you know, the interviews or whatever on, on the court. Like those are the first names that, I, that I'm awesome. seeing. So it's it's this culture and this care factor that, like, it's not something that's required. Like, you know, we've we've had we've had players on our team that aren't boomer culture esque because they're an elite ta- talent, but mm. it's something that's just like intoxicating, and then yeah. and that that kind of like buys has like a buy in factor of itself. Like, we don't need to tell people to do this. Mm. It's it's a it just happens. And I think right now, like this World Cup coming up is going to be is going to be like the test of time for us because we have a lot of young blokes coming in and you know how yeah. this whole new culture is very, very, like it's 10 times more me, me, me than the, like three years ago. Yeah. We've got guys like Josh Giddy who are buying in, you know, they're... That's awesome. They're, they're the ones who are now going to have to be the driving forces. You know, Josh Green, he's he's fucking one of my best mates now because I could see from the start he has that in him. Um, it's those guys that are going to be the ones that have to carry that torch going forward. And and I think credit to Bogues, credit to Patty, credit to Joe, those guys were the driving factors going back eight, 10, eight 12 years ago. So That's it's amazing. a special thing. It's fun, mate. It's, it's, I've never seen anything like it. That's so good. And it sounds like the families are really involved in that as well, right? Like I remember um, Amity telling me that um, India was getting messages from from players' wives while you were having like a really good game in the Olympics, which, you know, it'd be so nice for Inns because I'm sure I'm going to go out on a limb and say that might not happen that much at, uh, at NBA. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we've had, well, I'll, I'll give you some backstory. Um, so, so Patty's, Patty's wife, Alyssa Mills, um, was one of the first people to kind of reach out to, to, to Inns and get to know her a little bit from, from that, you know, group of individuals. And when we got to, when we signed that contract to go to San Antonio, Alyssa was like, bang, on the text with Inns or on the call with Inns, like, do this, do that meet this person meet that person and it was like india was able to create a little like network of her own out in san antonio just through the help of Alyssa. and it was like she was like flat out on it like straight away there was like not three days where i could be like hey patty what do we do it was like i don't know ends up a uh, jock i've got it like don't worry about it so mm. like it was yeah it, it, it they they embrace everyone's families as well not just not just the, the 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 bloke on the team, um, which is nice. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, we've we've spent a lot of time with with Bogut and his wife, and and um and Delhi and his wife, and yeah, everyone everyone really makes sure that you feel like you're at home, and if you ever need help with anything, like done. That's great. 
love that. Love hearing stories like that. Mm. Um, so you obviously win bronze. First time it's been done before. You yourself have an amazing campaign. Where does this sort of rank uh, with you amongst your career achievements? Is it number one? Yeah, it's the best, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I when I set out, it was an NBA contract. It was Olympic appearance. It wasn't even a medal. Mm. Um, it was, I want to just play for my country in the Olympics. Um, part of that is, you know, we can't, we also can't put this boomer culture down to just us as a team. Like it's, it, it is just Brit, it's bred into us as Aussies. Like yeah. I, I really feel as though like the camaraderie that I have with my best mates, you know, that we were talking about before, mm. like it's just ties in hand in hand with the one at the boomers. So it makes you think, oh, well, this is just the culture of being an Aussie. Um, now, obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, like there's idiots wherever you are. But like for the most part, it's it's it really is just the culture of Australia has just kind of flooded into this locker room. And that's kind of how it goes. So um, I think that knowing that and knowing how proud I am to be Australian and, and, and how much every locker room in the NBA I go into, I'm like as Aussie as I can possibly be because like I'm just unapologetically me um that that is like that bred this like s- this sense of um pride and, and and happiness that i've very rarely experienced in my life um maybe once or twice other time of like yep yeah, this is this is up there I, I also have to say that in terms of career achievements um winning that nbl title was yeah, one of the happiest moments of my life as well. Um, mm. So those two happening within like four weeks of each other was just fucking crazy. <laughs> and I signed an NBA deal, and it's like, holy crap, this is nuts. It was a, it was a pretty cool like two months. But yeah, like yeah. the NBA contract was like I I was signing I was signing that in the midst of winning a bronze medal, and it was just like, yeah. that's was a- it before the semi final? I think before the semi final was the announcement that came out that we would have like agreed on a contract. Yeah. Um, something like that. So yeah, it was like it was kind of like this whirlwind. But like I couldn't give two shits about the NBA contract as opposed to the the the, the Olympic medal. It was it's mate just being able to fucking like hold it and look at it and feel the yeah. weight of it. It's like holy crap, this really happened. So yeah, and, that's definitely out there. And you went um, you went fucking hard on the celebrations as well, didn't you? Oh my goodness, mate! It was. So, yeah, so that's that's a whole other thing. So the stadium was the stadium's like forty minutes from the Olympic Village. Yeah, so we we leave the court straight away, and this and there's this great photo of Paddy walking back into the locker room after all his interviews, and Chris Goulding's like double park with two long neck Asahi's. I'm behind him, double park, fists up <laughs> in the air, long neck Asahi's. And it was like we just guzzled those. Maybe had one more, mind you. These are these are fifteen blokes or twelve blokes that have not touched a drop of beer in like ten weeks. <laughs> and here we are, just like cracking back like long neck asahis before we go out to stand on the podium. I was shit faced on the podium, like <laughs> like six beers in like thirty minutes. Got out on the podium, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, there's like a video of me on the celebration where I've li- I've got this plastic flower in my hand and the camera's on me and I'm just like sniffing the flower. Like I was poleaxed. So anyway, we deal with that. Like we all mingling with like, you know, US and France and like, I was yeah. like, man, 
fuck about all you blokes. Like <laughs> I go back into the locker room where we're like having a couple more cans and then I grab a pair of scissors, go out onto the court and I cut this off. <laughs> this is the net that we won a bronze medal on. That's and awesome. I cut this off. Still smells like fucking champagne and beer. That's um, awesome. And I was the only one that had one that has one of those because the other one I just left alone and we left. So yeah. right, that's a pretty sick thing that I that I nicked from there. Um, but we 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 end up jumping on this bus and I, I have the most absurd absurd stories on the bus. We were just in all sorts, um, hanging out the window, going like a hundred, like <laughs> like throwing back beers and stuff. It was a pisser. Get back to the village and we start walking back to the to the to the the building where 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 we're all like Australia's staying because of COVID, we're all staying in one building or whatever. And it starts just like bucketing with rain. And we've got like hilltop hoods pumping on this speaker. Like we only play Australian music through the entire camp. It's only Aussie tracks. And we're walking through this thing with this big boom box and rain's bucketing down. You can just kind of see through the rain because it's like really coming down. Like you can mm. barely see, kind of like getting closer and you see the Australian thing and there's like a hundred people gathered out front, like fist pumping, like everyone's going off. And mate, we walk in there and there's this, you know, obviously I'm sure you've seen the video of me and Patty kind of dancing and all this shit. Mm. And um and it was just on for young and old until like eight o'clock the next morning or seven o'clock the next morning or something. And then a lot of the boys actually, they, they backed it up the next night and <laughs> went pretty hard the next night. And then we all flew out. So, yeah. That's awesome. So those, um, those three names that you've mentioned before, were they the, uh, were they the boys leading the charge? Well, Bogues, Bogues had retired at that point. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 Paddy, Paddy gives it a nudge when he, when he, when he wants to. Paddy is, a weapon. Uh, so Patty was certainly leading the charge. Uh, Joey was definitely in the mix. He was, he's leading the charge, but I, I like he, I don't think anyone was, was beating Patty out. And then our, our coaches actually were Matt Nielsen, Adam, Adam K porn. They go bloody hard as well. So um, yeah, it was, it was a team effort. There weren't too many stragglers. Chris Goulding was a weapon. There weren't too many stragglers, um, but we did the first. We did those two nights in the Olympic Village, and then we had to leave. Yeah, and a couple of us went to to LA, and everyone else went back to Australia. So me and Patty went to LA, just the two of us, and we took the night off on the plane because we were just like in trouble mm. at that point. And we land in we land in LA, and I dropped my stuff on my bed, and I'm just. Park finally like the next day Inz is flying in to move out to America with me I haven't seen her in like 10 10 weeks or something like that hmm. and I just drop my stuff on the bed and I'm like finally like I can just kick the feet up I'm gonna go hit the pool maybe hit the sauna relax at that moment I'm not even kidding to the second bang Patty Mills fucking face pops up on <laughs> FaceTime and I'm like mate like what do you want <laughs> I was like, get your shit on, come over to my place, we're going out. And I was like, Patty, I'm not coming. Like, I've got to pick ends up at like 4.30 from the, from the airport. Like, I'm not coming over, mate. And he was like, mate, you're coming. So anyways, I have no, I have no clothes. I have my Australian kit that they've given me because Inns is bringing all my stuff over with her. I have nothing. Mm. And anyways, we get out. I get over to Paddy's and I'm in like, I'm seriously, I'm in like Australian sweatpants and like a, a white T-shirt. 
And he was like, mate, don't worry about it. I gotcha. So I get over there and he gives me a pair of his pants that I wear as like three quarter <laughs> pants. And we just we go out in LA. We have this long dinner at catch with a couple of his mates and just get polacks. And then anyways, I up the next morning at four to pick ins up from the airport. And it was just like, yeah, it was fucked. Anyways, at that point I blocked his number for about a week. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you're now, um, so you obviously signed for the, for the Spurs. Um, yeah. So you're two, two seasons into the NBA. So first season at San Antonio, second at Phoenix. Um, taking the basketball um, out of it for a sec, uh, what city have you enjoyed living in the most? Oh, Phoenix. Phoenix, no question. Yep. Like, yeah, no, not even close. I, I think that, like, we really enjoyed – we really enjoyed San Antonio for the aspects that like our apartment was nice and we had Austin an hour up the road, but the, the, the cities themselves is like night and day. We, 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 and not to completely rag on San Antonio, but like Phoenix is, Phoenix is like a top five city in the U S from what I've gathered. So really, yeah, it's um that's the general consensus amongst the basketball teams, at least like it's top yeah. five in the NBA. That's awesome. Good golf courses around there too, right? Made lead. I just had a, probably the worst round of my life yesterday or the day before. Like, it was horrendous. But amazing golf courses. Just don't hit it off the fairway because that ball will be gone. Uh, Phoenix Wasteland Management. Have you been to that one yet? Yes. Waste Management. Yeah, we went this year. It was – we had was uh, Doug Bond and – we had De- Doug Bond and Declan in town. <laughs> it was, mate – and we had like a four-day break at that point as well because the Super Bowl was on. So the, the, yeah. the NBA was like, we won't schedule any games in Phoenix then. Uh, but we had just gotten back to town from a road trip and we didn't have a game for four days. Yeah. So it was like on for young and old. Um, anyway, we, we went to Waste Management and it was just, it was mayhem, mate. Like, yeah. I reckon it's top five bucket list for me, for sure. It's it, it like... Yeah, there's a lot going on. Like, let yeah. me tell you that there is a lot going on. Did you did you go to the 16th hole? Yeah, we did. That we, three, did. Yeah. we parked up there for a. We parked up there towards the tail end of the day. Um, we when we got there, um, Doug and Meg had actually just gotten engaged, so we went and parked up on a fairway and just had a few quiet ones. Awesome. Um, and then we ended up like, all right, like let's get let's get stuck in. So we went to the 16th and we we launched there for a bit, and then. We went to a restaurant near our place here and 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 really got got going. So yeah, it was uh it was it was a lot of fun. We we went out to some concert and we did all this. We just really tried to enjoy the whole weekend. So yeah, it was awesome. good. Yeah. Um, so what are you some of some of your other like big escapes? Like what do you what do you and Inns do when you're really trying to sort of escape from basketball? We, we really try and get out like outdoors as much as possible. Um, there are a lot of things I wish I could do more of. I'd love to, I'd love to fish and play golf a lot more. Um, but just, just like, mate, it's, it's really hard to have such active vices because, um, you know, half the battle of the NBA is that is that rest and recovery aspect. So like it's yeah. it's been horizontal pretty much like 95% of the time. So look, like a lot of our time is spent doing doing hikes when we can. Um we love like we love just seeing the areas surrounding the city. So we go out to places called Flagstaff and Sedona a bit. 
trying to do trips out there. We've got Palm Springs three hours up the road. Like we really try and like get out and just travel. Um, yeah. But for the most part, like during season, like coffee, we 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 are completely obsessed with with coffee, and we love going on little coffee dates and mm. doing that stuff. Um, we do enjoy going out and like trying new restaurants, but I, we didn't do as much of that this year for whatever reason. I wouldn't say. Mm. Um, on top of that, it's you know walking the dog, doing stuff like that. Um, mm. Mate, there's just like, yeah, like sometimes I wish that I, I could game or something and enjoy that, which I just, I don't enjoy playing and simple, yeah. but because there's just, there's, there's so much time that's spent horizontal. Like you just, yeah. it's too much of a drag and too much of an effort after you've, you know, played one night, you fly into a city at 4am and then you play the next night at six. It's like, I just don't have any energy for anything else. And I really do like, uh, if you ask Inns, Inns will tell you like a lot of my time is spent just parked up, like having a conversation, having a coffee, like we, you know, yeah. we talk for hours, but um, yeah, that's, that's it for the most part. That's uh, one thing. Like I've realized like talking to you, like some of these AFL players, like actually don't realize how good they've got it. Cause like, you know, they've no. just got so much fucking time on their hands. Whereas you, like, you're literally like morning to night, just mm. in 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 the gym basically the whole time, or doing something. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is um, a couple of the boys that I that I'm pallied up with in the in the AFL, they they've told they kind of laid out this week to week schedule to me. And if you play play on Saturday or whatever it is, you might get like two days off. And then you have a light day and then you have a heavy day and then you have a medium day and then you play again. Mate, we, we are every single day we are doing something like mm. without a doubt, I'm in that gym every single day for, for, for nine months. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It is really hard. It's not just hard on me. Like it's, it's tough because I got to spend, you know, essentially three, three months away from the house. Yeah. Um, sure. And we're in a foreign country. So it's not just tough on me. It's tough on ends, I'm sure. So it's, it's, mm. it's like a, it's a bit of a team effort in that regard, but um, yeah, like we do, we do make the most of it. We make sure that, you know, she comes on road trips and like, especially when we go to New York, not to say that like, I'm not focused on basketball and like doing my, my, my best job out there, but, it, but it yeah. does become a little bit of like a holiday almost like, Hey, let's enjoy New York while we're here because oh for sure then we go back and you, I don't see you for two weeks. So mm. we make sure that we do things like that and make the most of the life that we're really in. And um, a lot of stuff like that. I, 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 I think there, there are other things we could be doing as, as hobbies, but just whether or not you got the means to do it, I suppose. So we're we're yeah. you know working towards that. Yeah, for sure. So back onto the the basketball. What have been uh, so you've obviously you know worked for the well played for the two organisations. Have you seen a big difference in in um, um, Phoenix compared to San Antonio in terms of the organisation? Um, well, I'll say uh, I'll say this and. So the first things first, like a lot of the guys who are here, obviously now a lot of them have been let go, but the coaching staff and all of that were San Antonio produced. Yeah. But a lot of their a lot of their culture and and, and values were pretty much replicated off one one or the other uh, organization. Um I think that um 
I think that it was also two organizations and completely different parts of their cycles. San Antonio was in a rebuild process. Phoenix was in a win at all cost process. And um, I'm much more in terms of just the dominant personality and the winning mindset and stuff. Like I need to be on the the winning side of things. If I'm on the losing side, I get I go into a bad space. So yeah, um, that was that was that was hard. Like I I just had I had a lot more fun this year because the 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 people that I was around were winners. Not to say that they weren't in San Antonio, but we weren't winning. Yeah. So I just enjoyed and got along with everyone in Phoenix. Like. 10 times better because it was like we're, we're trying to do something together rather than San Antonio felt like it was there was a little bit of I'm in it for myself type yeah. mentality floating around so um, and that's something that the organization plays a little bit of a part in controlling but can't really control because yeah San Antonio is just not signing big free agents they have to draft them and they have to be born and bred through the draft to be a good organization so mm. Um, yeah, it was just that, that was the, that was the key difference is that it was, I was really on a winning culture here in Phoenix and San Antonio was just in a, that they have a winning culture, but they were in a losing part of their, their cycle. And, and that I just, yeah, not for me. Well, and for you as well, like it would have been a bit of like an age thing, right? Like, cause at San Antonio, you would have been one of the older ones. Whereas in Phoenix, you've got sort of more guys around your age. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I think San Antonio average age was like 24 and I was 25, 26. And then in, in Phoenix, we had an average age of like 29 and I was 27. So I was I was kind of one of the younger guys here. Um, yeah. But get along really well with with older the older boys. So um yeah, it was it was there was like a little bit of like a, a an age gap there in San Antonio, but not not crazy. Like I, I made do with with it for sure. And some of my good mates are from there as well. Doug McDermott, yeah. Trey Jones, those kinds of boys, Zach Collins. Um, but yeah, no, nah, for the most part, it was it was way more enjoyable when like you're not like, oh fuck, we're losing, like this sucks. It was like I'm excited to get in there because we're gonna be winning, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So um, you're two years into this sort of lifelong dream. Have you had like moments along the way where you've actually like literally had to pinch yourself and be like, oh shit, like I'm actually <laughs> playing in the NBA right now. Like, are there, are there any examples of that where you've had to really sort of take in your surroundings? Yep. There was kind of like the first time I got some real burn in, in the, in the, the semifinals of the Western conference. That was a pinch myself moment of like, holy shit. Like, I know, like, I, I just, I, the th- the thought that ran through my head is like, there are fucking millions of people watching me on court right now. Like, this is crazy. And I've been in games like that, like the bronze medal game or the America, Australia game. Yeah. And then we have millions of viewers, but actually it wasn't really crossing my mind because I was so focused on winning a medal. This one, I was like, I'm like in front of a mi- like millions of people against the best player in the world right now. Like, this is a bit of a pinch yourself moment and doing a fucking pretty good job as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a pinch myself moment. I think that like the other ones that have kind of been pinched myself is being on a court with Devin Booker, Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. It was like, what the fuck is going on? Like those kinds of moments. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, like 
it's the old cliche, but it's like, oh, I should not be doing this. Like something's <laughs> not fucking adding up here. Like when am I going to wake up type thing? But yeah, they were definitely moments of, of pinch yourself. But like in our industry, you've just got to be like, right, fuck that off. Yeah. I'm focus. So yeah, for sure. You don't really have enough time to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, there, there are certainly pinch yourself moments in there um, a bit, which Inns and I laugh about sometimes, but. Well, um, no, I can't wait to to ask you about your uh, your Phoenix situation at the moment in terms of uh, on court. Um, but I, I suppose something that I was probably most keen to ask you about the most is, you know, like you're a confident guy, but I'm sure, you know, a big part of that hunger for you to to finally get to the NBA would have been you wanting to prove to yourself that you were good enough, right? Good enough to yeah. play at the level. Now that you know that you're good enough, like now that you've actually had success um, on an NBA court, um, are you able to sort of look back and reflect on uh, everything that you've achieved and how far you've come? Or are you still sort of, um, you know, very much focused on the future and, they'll, you know, time for reflection later? It's it's frustrating for me. Um, but no, I've... I've... I've never been able to kind of pat myself on the back. Um, yeah. That's really hard for me because I always feel as though there's something I could have done better. There's something I could have done differently. Even when I've had impossibly stellar games, yeah. um, I'm like, mm, should have done this, should have done that. And I just never give myself credit for what I've achieved. And it's like having a conversation with Inns the other day, it was like, I don't feel like a successful person and like people would laugh at that because it's like, well, like look where you are. Look what yeah. you've just done in the, in the NBA fucking playoffs. And it's just mm. for whatever reason, I'm just not wired like that. And it's, yeah. it's not like a, it's not like a, Oh, you know, I'm greedy and I just want it all and blah, blah. It's just like a, I'll put it to you this way. When I played really well and and dollar figure talk started about next year, one of the big things that people deal with in our in our environment is they get the, they get the big contract mm. and they're like, I'm done, I'm good. I was like a little bit worried about that. I was back in the gym four days after season because I was like, I got shit to do. Like I need to fucking do this and this so that I can do this for the next 10 years. There's never been a moment of I can finally relax. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm wired like that. But, mm. and I know that it's frustrating for a lot of people as well, but it's just like, I just can't do it. Like, I, I mm. complacency aspect of my life has just never been there. Not mm. because I think that I'm the main character in any story or anything like that, but it's, Part of it is, is I think part of it is bred from the Serbian year where I, like I get scared of sitting still and yep. being in my own thoughts probably is plays a little bit of a role in it. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, is like, I just, I, I enjoy being productive and I enjoy being like feeling like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And I enjoy just feeling like I'm always moving forward. And I think that that's probably my addiction in life is like being able to feel like I'm just always taking a step forward, a step forward. And as soon as I feel complacent, that's when I really start to get like, holy fuck, like what's going on? Like, what do I do? What's the next thing? And yeah. So 
I would yeah. say that that's that's definitely it. Yeah, it's interesting, but I'm I'm sure that you know there there will be there will be a time like maybe when it's all said so. and done where you will be able to have that reflection because you know like I'm just trying to think of an example like you know like 26 points against the Pacers, which yeah. I think was like the fourth most for for any Aussie ever. Like yeah. no one can take that away from you. You know what I mean? Like you actually you did that, but I'm I'm right. sure. I think it was 28, wasn't it? Was it 28? Oh, there you go. Um, I'm, just, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure for you, well, it sounds like you have, but I'm sure like for you, uh, the way you're wired and the way, you know, in speaking to you and how driven you are, like you wouldn't have really thought thought twice about it. Whereas whereas for me, I probably would have put it on my buddy Instagram bio. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, to take take talk about that scenario in particular, I actually broke a record that David uh, David Robinson set and I looked at it and I was like, whatever, like doesn't mean yeah. shit. And and part of it, part of it for me is, is that maybe maybe I'm I'm wired to think that it's like the the accolades of it all is like, you know, it's cool and looks good on paper and stuff like that. But it's it's again, it's like I, I get I get scared of being like, hey, that was that was something, right? Like, how good am mm. I? Because then it's like the next guy is just gonna fucking leapfrog me and and, yeah. and take. So there's a little bit of that involved. But yeah, you're right. Like, I hope that one day I can sit back withins, have a beer on the front porch somewhere, and be like, fuck me, like that was a ride, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that I will be able to do that. I think I think you know I think kids will definitely put that stuff in perspective a lot of like. You know, now you're telling stories 10, 15 years later. Um, mm. But man, right now it's like it just feels like a part of my life where it should just be head down, bum up, like the whole time. Um, and I do look, I do come up for breath, breath, breaths of air. Like we make sure that we get away after the season at some point mm. um, and really like enjoy things and and, and stuff like our our you know, going to Europe to to see our wedding venue, like that'll be a breath of fresh air where I can come up and be like, yeah. wow, like this is amazing. Look where I'm at in life. Um, but like basketball just doesn't really do that for me. Basketball yeah. feels like something that I'm committed to progress with and, and don't really want to come up for air just yet. Mm. Well, I mean, you can kind of tell like that that's the way you conduct yourself because, you know, like we, we see the NBA from the outside and we see like the the private jets and the crazy you know pre-game outfits yours are fucking hilarious by the way i just love seeing like, <laughs> the people, well they just i love seeing the people roll in with like the fur coats and then you're just got your your thongs and hoodie on <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, so good fuck. it is good mate it is good and mate, it just gets to the point where, like look i'll let i'll let my hair down every now and again but it's like, mate, oh, fuck, I just want to, like, I'm here to do a job. Like, I yeah. had this. So <laughs> the Denver series, we went to Denver and I fucking fully planned outfits. And I was like, right, like, I'm going oh, to try, try and dress the part. And anyways, like, me dressing the part is still, like, it's true to me. Like, I'm not going to be, like, Gucci this, fucking rah, rah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, game three, so I had those two games in Denver where I was like, we finished the game too. And I'm like, coach, like I go to Monty and I'm like, coach, like, I know that you don't think that I'm like the best fit for this guy, 
defensively, but I, but I promise you, like, you're wrong and I can get the job done. Just give me a three-minute crack at him and you can make the decision based off of that going mm. forward. So I'm, all of a sudden he comes to me the day out. That was like pretty much right after the game. We're walking from the along out along the tarmac to the jet, and um, and I get to, I get to the plane. And I talk to him about this. And we come into the facility the next day, and he was like, "You got your three minutes. Show me what you can do." And I was like, "Fuck right, here we go." So, anyways, come home, shit night sleep because I know that I'm going to play, <laughs> and I wake up the next day. I, you know, I do a little little activity routine in the house before the game. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm looking in my fucking wardrobe because, look, I do have some clothes that I could definitely, like, spruce it up with if I want to. Yeah. But I was like, I'm not here fucking for a dress parade. Like, we're down mm. to the fucking Western semi, uh, the, the semis of the Western Conference Finals. Like, mm. I'm throwing on a fucking hoodie and a pair of, like, Carhartt pants and I'm going to the game. And I don't give a fuck about anything else. Like, yeah get a win and that that's it and i think that that's where i maybe differ from other people is like the parades all all well and good and the, and the circus is all well and good but at the end of the day like i've shipped my life to america yeah. all the time away from my friends and family to do a job and that's kind of the mindset that i really embodied for those for those games so mm. yeah it's i have i have my vices i made like i love watches watches is kind of the thing that i really like splurge on but um yeah you won't catch me buying two thousand dollar fucking shirts, mate. Just one day, seriously, just rock up in like a pair of footy shorts in a pair of like, <laughs> pair of like mate, Denny, I, I have, Denny I do it at the shorts. facility. I, I rock up in these Nike shorts, and and um, Jarrett Jack, who was one of our assistant coaches, he was like, Jock, I see you with that much leg hanging out ever again. Like, we're gonna have a fuck, we're gonna have to throw hands. He was like, That shit is not going on anymore. And so, I obviously, at that point, I went shorter and shorter and shorter. And everyone was like, There's too much daylight, man. We need, we need, we need something else from you. So, yeah, oh, they so good. definitely, uh, yeah, I, I lent into it a bit this year. It was, it was funny. It was good. <clears throat> but you've obviously, like, know stayed incredibly grounded through this whole process was that was that a um like a focus for you going into this whole thing i mean there's always been like a an aspect of self-respect and like respect for my mates and and all of that where i was like like i look i think the simplest way to put it is i knew that if i like went all airhead on everyone back home like i'd lose everyone and i was Mm. like what's more important like having 10 years of like this romanticize and fantasize industry like get to me and get to my head and make me into the person that i'll become or just being true to myself and and i can't take the credit for that i've got obviously an amazing partner in ins who um keeps me grounded a lot and it's just kind of it's the people that I've surrounded myself with through the early stages of my life that have done like a great job of um, not making me out to be doing more than I'm doing. Like in all reality, I'm just a fucking regular bloke who's doing a job, which just happens to be one of the most watched jobs in the world. Like mm. apart from that, it's like, like I'm, I don't do anything different than somebody who, um, works a nine to five like they yeah. like those guys are working more than i am on a day-to-day basis so mm. uh like 
I lucked out like and that's the other thing I lucked out I, I have genes for whatever reason that provided me 11 you know 611 um and it's like like if I was to just like be arrogant and be a dickhead because like I was I lucked out a little bit it's like that's just a shit move so um it's it's a culmination of all that just the right people around me but also the awareness that like just because I was like you know given some you know little portion of height more than everyone else doesn't mean that i'm like as these guys will say like this is a god-given ability like no i was just luck like that's all <laughs> and i made the most of that luck. like i have to you know i worked hard at it but yeah that's, that definitely doesn't mean that that i'm special all right so <laughs> your current situation in phoenix yeah i, so- I sometimes chuckle to myself uh, thinking about you know that shy kid from the boarding house you know is now rubbing shoulders with you know top 15 player of all time in Kevin Durant Devin Booker yeah. who probably finishes like a top 30 player and then um you know Chris Paul who's obviously um right up there as well mm. um I think every Australian wants to know this what is the dick swinging energy like in the locker room <laughs> mate <laughs> oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names, but I'll tell yeah. you this. So I, me having my little watch thing, like I've got like I don't know, I, I got I got a couple watches. I'm not even gonna like give a number because it's so insignificant. Mm. And I asked one of them, I'm like, mate, like you gotta ask, like, what are you what what watches are you carrying? Because like I see, you know, you coming in with one or two every now and again, and I'm just like, fuck, those are beautiful. Mm. And he says to me, it was like just keep an eye, just just look at my wrist every game because I've got more than there are the number of games this season. And he was like, <laughs> I'm going to have a new one every single time. And I was just like, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? So, I mean, that's the, le- that's the level it's on. But like, like it's all fun and games. Like, yeah, I yeah, life. for sure. And I was like, hey, you're a dickhead. Um, but <laughs> like, that's the energy that I bring is like, is like almost the sarcastic, like, yeah fuck off like seriously um but yeah no i enjoy it i enjoy it because it's good it's it's good for me to like be around it and just like be able to laugh at it and kind of like give them a hard time for thinking that like i'm like jealous of that um (laughs) but yeah no like there is there is some big levels to that but like in all honesty like just using kd as an example nothing like no, 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 no dick swinging ego in that in that bloke at all. He's he's quiet, humble bloke. And then when yeah. he steps forward, he becomes Kevin Durant. Like he becomes KD. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, like I've I've not really ever heard him like talk about how much he's got and how good he is. And yeah, no, nah, he's he's pretty humble. Well, they must uh, they must absolutely love having you around, and you know, because you, you, I always always watch the bench. I'm a I'm an avid bench watcher, and you're always like the first guy up. Um, so it, uh, you've certainly uh, brought your own flair to that locker room as well. I'm sure. I like to think so. I like to think so. I used to I used to just enjoy giving Mikhail Bridges a fucking lot of stick, but we lost him, so is what it is. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that because that would have been tough for you, right? Because you know, obviously Kevin Durant comes with the trade, but you know they were they were your two good mates, right? In uh, in, in Bridges Cam and Johnson. Um, Cam Johnson. Yeah. 
Cam Johnson and and Mikael would certainly two of my good mates. But look, like it opened, like I became really tight with campaign down the stretch um, mm. of the season, and 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 got got to know CP a little bit better and 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 book better, and so like it was, you know. Yeah. That's just part of the business, and like you yeah, can't get sure. personal with it because, like, in reality, you'll play with, you know, hundred more players in this league, so you just yeah. got to be used to it. Yeah. Um. So you obviously come out unbelievably hot this season. Um. Good form sort of continued throughout, with maybe less opportunity with guys coming yeah. back. Um. But you know, you really announce yourself, in my opinion, in the playoffs when you played you know, as you said before, played a massive role um, in the Denver series, literally mm. trusted with guarding the best player in the game and probably the best big man I think I've ever seen. Um, no what was that experience like for you? Like knowing you, I imagine you would have been absolutely lapping it up. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool. It was it was just like the intensity that it brought out of me. I hadn't, like, didn't know that I had that in me. And like... Mm. Like typically when I've come up against the US in part in the past, like in an Olympics or something, I'm like a little bit nervous. Like I'm the little kid on the block and I'm like, like this guy, like guy's great. He's, he's this guy, he's that guy, whatever. But this experience, I was like, and again, like ties back into Serbia. I, I really embodied this mindset of like, I'm back in Serbia and I'm playing against this Serbian and, and like, I'm going to like, embody that intensity that i had out there and mate i just took it to a whole nother level like there's this yeah. barbaric video it's so bad of me where um i i get a block or i get a steal on yoke and we run i kick it to book off a re off the you know grabbing the ball off off the steal or block and then i kick it to book come down like i i set like a screen and then we we kind of wiggle the screen and he comes back up and he drills a three and i just like after as he's shooting it i run down the lane and i just truck um yoke and um i think it might have been bruce brown or something i just trucked them and then my whole face just like goes into like this snarl and i look at it and i'm like fuck you're a cringe motherfucker but, but at the time it was just like the intensity level that i was playing at and experiencing mentally was it was so exhilarating and i was just like i've never had this much fun playing basketball like it was fucking awesome and my job was like like i've been you know, you'd think that like a Melbourne United role or something where I'm scoring all the points and doing all of the, you know, flashy stuff like that would be enjoying. I've mm. never had as much fun as I've had in that series being like a defensive minded person. And mm. just like essentially the job is to just like play as hard as I can, truck this bloke as much as I can, like run past him on every opportunity. It was that it was so refreshing. Um so that, yeah, I was lapping that up for sure. I was just yeah. lapping up the ability to just like be like a bit of a bulldog and like just try and like essentially have this like macho, you know, yeah. fight this guy who's like the the best of all time, arguably, um, in in terms of like centers. So mm. or he could potentially be in that conversation one day. So for sure, I was loving it. I absolutely loved it. Um, Thank goodness I, I had somewhat of a formula on how to have some success against him. But yeah, well, I was about to ask, like, do you have, did you have a certain plan for him? Like, was it just to be yeah. as physical as possible and sort of run him around a little bit? Yeah. And so 
like a lot of, it's funny a lot of people would be like oh like jock fucking smoked this guy like unsung hero of the game beat yoke and then i look at the box scores and it's like jock landale 20 minutes six points nine rebounds nikola Jokic 53 17 and 12 or something i was like you guys are crazy but I kind of after the after game game two was when I flipped the mindset on that and I was like I'm not there I'm not a statistical asset to this team I'm a I'm a box score guy like uh sorry like a plus minus guy like yeah. is my impact whilst I'm on the court going positively or negatively for us and every single game that I played that series I was like double digit positives I think or majority of them but I ended up that series being like a plus 60 on the series or something like that, which is just insane given that like, you know, especially the last game we played them in game six, we lost by 30, but I was a plus seven. Mm. So that's how I knew that I was doing the job. And, you know, all these idiots on Twitter are like, no, nah, well, he was doing this and that. And I was like, yeah, because you're looking at the box score, like go look at the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my whole thing was, Every single every single rebound opportunity, offensive, defensive, I am just like laying into this bloke, like <laughs> cracking him as hard as I can. Um, every single chance where he's like about to catch the ball, I'm like hugging him and pushing him around as much as possible. Any post up that I have, I'm fronting. So he has to sprint to the other side of the court to catch the ball. And then he might catch it and he might score, but... Now I've taken, I've given him like an extra 20 or 30 steps of effort where I know that that's going to play into our favor when we come down on offense and play against him. So then when we went down on offense and played against them, it was as soon as that ball was in our possession, I was off to the races, sprinting down the court, mm. making sure that we either got a mismatch with him on someone else or um, he like had to follow me as fast as he could to the, to the, to the baseline. And like, if you watch those possessions, like every single time that we run down the court, I make sure that I'm like touching that baseline. I'm like, you are coming the full distance with me. Like, I'm not going to cut this thing short at all. I'm going the full distance down. And then I'm going to wheel back around and come up into an on ball at half court. And then I'm going to go all the way back down and I'm going to crack you in the back and make sure I try and get an offensive rebound. And so the whole thing in my mind was like, A, like I'm playing my... I'm playing for my livelihood with mm. in terms of next year, but it's also like I am like a hundred percent effort, full tilt at all times, like no matter what. And there was a play in like the, in the fourth quarter and in, in, in game four where I've done this for like ten minutes flat out straight, and ball goes up. I like dive on this ball and unfortunately don't come up with it, <laughs> but we come down. Because I'm on the ground, they score in a mismatch situation. And then we come up and we hit a massive three. And then I just like almost fucking topple over. Like I'm so, so tired from doing that. But the whole mindset was, I know that I have a bigger motor than you and I can make you fucking 10 times harder. So let's do that. And that's the success we had. Unfortunately, game five, I didn't have as big of a burn. So I wasn't able to tire him out as much. Mm. And game six was just, yeah, just is what it was. But that was that was the that was the mindset. That game four was my favorite basketball game I think I've ever I've ever watched. And you could right. tell, like you talking through your plan there, like you could tell because he he completely blew up at the end. Like I think he missed like a like a really easy layup or whatever. Right. Um, 
So yeah, you could tell that it was just it's just taxing for everyone out there. But I don't think we'll ever get an offensive game of basketball like that. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, it's next level. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Next so, level. The, the, the level that Book and KD were on, and the level that Yoke were on, and Jamal Murray. Oh, did he have a good game that game? Maybe not. Uh, no, I think yeah, I think he still had twenty or so. Yeah, it was just it was it was unbelievable. There were there were blokes clicking on all cylinders, and whoever won that series is gonna in my mind was gonna win the whole thing. So it, that yeah. was to me was the was the real final series. Yeah, for sure. And credit um, to them, they just got it done. Like they were just the better team. Yeah, I reckon they're what. Yes, yeah, certainly one of the best uh, teams I've seen in like the last five years or so. And he's just a cheat code. Like Jokic is, he's unbelievable. Um, in talking to you, like you're a massive hoops head. Do you have like guys that you sort of follow around the league? Do you have like a few league pass teams or something? Um, I definitely soak up a lot of basketball whilst I'm on the on 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 the road. Um, players that I follow, I don't really follow individuals. Um, yep. There are certain players that I I like how they operate um guys like guys like brooke lopez yeah love i love marcus smart like i yeah. I, I want to play with marcus smart one day yeah um i definitely i definitely soak up as much film on those guys as i can um but there aren't too many centers that play like me i gotta say so mm. it's hard for me to really like love watching another center Mm. Um, it's you know Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, you know yeah, Trey yeah. Jones. Like I'll check it. The Aussie guys played with in the past, but yeah, not not too many guys that I really enjoy and like avidly watch. There are there are, there are, there are guys out in Europe that I watch more than I do in the NBA. But yeah, oh, really? yeah. So we're obviously about to enter you know trade period, free agency, all that kind of stuff. You know, you're a very much a deep thinker. How do you deal with sort of the uncertainty around trades and player movement and all, all that kind of stuff? Because I can imagine it would sort of weigh heavily. <laughs> yeah, time stops for a little while, mate. That's just kind yeah. of the reality of it. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm living in the gym for six hours a day at the minute, just trying to get better and work on my game. And that carves up as much time as possible. And then we try and Inns and I spend a lot of time together, obviously, and, and try and um, soak up as much of the day in a coffee shop or, you know, going out and, and, and just checking out some fun little things that we might do. Yeah. So it's just about like killing as much time as possible. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, like life really doesn't stop. It's just another bump in the road. And, and yeah. especially this year, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I was last year because last year the the, the conversation was, we don't know if what what and if there will be another opportunity. This year yeah. it's well, how good can this opportunity be? So um and what what are the choices? You know, like I've never I've not had that. So um that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a different, it's a different kind of anxiety, I suppose. The anxiety is is like you know, what are the possibilities? Whereas last year was, you know, what you know what's the backup plan um so yeah i, I look i try and keep busy um I, I do go through stages where i'm like what what's going on what's going to happen but 
yeah. I think I have to be like mature about it and understand that I pay someone to do that and just let them do their job as yeah. to the best of their ability. So that's kind of where I try and leave it. But like, that's a lot easier said than done for sure. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great mindset to have. Um, mate, you've been so good with your time, but I'm really keen to sort of dive into sort of what's next for you. You've obviously got, is it the, the world champs coming up? Yeah, got the world champs coming up in in uh, September, start of September, um, and then we'll be pretty much into the next season after that. Fantastic! We're gonna have a, we'll have a good team, won't we, for the for the world champs? I say we, like I'm in the fucking locker room. <laughs> you guys will have a good team. <laughs> no, mate, that's the Australian culture. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, we're gonna have a special team. This is gonna be this is gonna be probably our best team that we've ever produced coming off the back of a bronze medal. So. Um, we got some young guns coming up through the pipeline. Um, kind of, it's 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 almost it's almost crossing that that timeline of like, right? Like this is the, this is the time that blokes like myself, Josh Kitty, Josh Green, Matisse Thibel, like we need to step up and 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 take some of the slack from Patty and and Joey and all those boys that were that are, that are coming into their their later years as much as they probably won't enjoy me saying that, but yeah. It's the reality of it. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily about, hey, Patty, like step aside, Joe, step aside. But it's like, hey, like let's all get involved here because yeah. we've got some serious weapons on the team that we can put put to good use and hopefully take this to a gold medal standard before you before you guys um you know decide to hang them up. Awesome. Okay, mate. So I, I know you're an avid listener of the podcast, so you sort of know what's coming up with the uh, with the quick fire questions. What's what's oh, been your favorite pretty, pod, by the way? What was what's that? Been your favorite episode? What's been your favorite episode of Content Therapy? I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed. Um, uh, enjoyed Clangers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was good. Just because obviously know him and have been speaking to him about it, but I didn't realize the depths of all that. So it's it was good to to hear you know, all the stuff that had been going on. And then, and then Horgan and, and, and Slossies was, was a, was a good laugh as well. So yeah, you wouldn't, nah, you it's, wouldn't it's, good, it's good. It's good hearing the old boys talk. Um, yeah. You yeah, certainly nah. wouldn't have come away from that one any smarter. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they're all right. They're all right. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, the toughest opponent you've ever faced. Mm, probably, probably Yoke, probably Yoke or Embiid. You sort of touched on it before, but uh, someone in the league that you would absolutely love to play with. So your ideal teammate that you haven't played with before. Uh, well, it was it was Chris Paul. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it was. Uh, now you know, having played with him, it would be. Oh, I'd love to play. I'd love to play with with Steph Curry. Hmm. Fuck, I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, who is the AFL equivalent to Jock Landau? <laughs> Mason Cox, because we're both tall <laughs> and he, he's, a, he's an American in Australia and I'm an Aussie in America. I th- I, to be honest, I thought you would say that. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I thought you'd say that. I'm going to throw another one out there at you. All right. I oh, said so Brody Majek. Yeah, so right. Why role, say that? Role player, hard worker. You know, really plays his role. Uh, very yeah. self. I reckon Brody Majek. I like it. Um, biggest influence on your basketball career. 
Oh, mate, there's so many of them. Fuck. Um, I really can't narrow this down to one guy, uh, but I would say Marty Clark, Andrea Trincheri, and then probably, I mean, my mum and dad, obviously, for driving me around early days. So, yeah, those four. So, Marty Clark, your college coach? Yeah. And then Andrea, your... Andrea Trincheri was my coach in Serbia. At Serbia, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, obviously, mum and dad. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Mate, thanks so much for joining me for a chat. You've been so unbelievable with your time. Um, Outside of your amazing career, it's been, you know, amazing to see how you've developed as a person. And we're all so bloody proud of you back home, mate. So, keep up the great work. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Jocko. Cheers.